Hi everyone, welcome to my podcast where we talk all things that are most dear to the heart. I'm Bobby Houston, co-senior pastor of Hillsong Church and founder of the Color Sisterhood. I'm passionate about seeing all people find Jesus as Saviour and gain a revelation of their value in Him and then rise up to make a stand for justice in the earth. This is a place that you'll hear from me, the Color Sisterhood team and some of our beloved friends. To find out more and stay up to date, please visit bobbyhouston.com and connect with me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. How good. How good is just everything? <laughs> I can't cope. I can't cope. It's just, I just love it. It's not just because we're like biased about our own little soil here. It's just like, how good is God on the earth? I mean, really. The Word of God says the, the path of the just shines brighter and brighter into that perfect day. And in all truthfulness, you know, the world is darkening and uh, dark clouds are descending on this earth. But you know what? The church is shining brighter and brighter and more beautiful. And, you know, sometimes of a weekend, I just scroll through Instagram because I kind of love it. It's visual, it works for me. And I just get overwhelmed to see, I follow hundreds of people, 600 people. And it's very time consuming, hallelujah. And I just scroll through it. I just see the magnitude and the wonder of what God is doing all around the world. It's so exciting, hey? So don't let anyone ever tell you or don't let the devil tell you that the church is dead and that she's forlorn because she's very much alive and wondrous, amen? Amen. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We do, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day and what you have done. And Lord, I pray that all the words, everything that we have received, Father God, will have the capacity in you to absorb and that it shall go deep and take root. But right now, Father, we commit ourselves to you. And I ask, Holy One of Heaven, that you'll come and anoint me and grace me and allow me. Father God, I can't do this in my own strength. I can only do it in you. Lord, open our hearts to your word. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome you, Holy Spirit, afresh. Jesus, walk amongst us tonight. Walk amongst us. Squeeze in through these rows, Lord. Walk amongst us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, beautiful. Okay, glory. Okay, what I'm gonna attempt to do tonight is talk to this subject up here, if you can see it, okay? The vineyard of his church. Of course, I'm gonna attempt to speak to that. And it's kind of my pet subject. If any of you have been around me and heard me, you know that I have a great love affair with the church and with the house of God. So I'm gonna attempt to speak to the vineyard of his church, her worship, her warfare, and her wonder by the grace of God, her worship. I mean, really, who can give um, expression to that in all truthfulness? Worship is this incredible mystery. It's this thing that we have been entrusted with and welcomed into. But in all truthfulness, worship, I think it is the mystery of the ages and it shall continue to be the mystery of the ages. I think when we get to eternity, right? When we get to eternity, we're gonna suddenly go, do you know what? I had no idea. And we're gonna spend eternity discovering the wonder and mystery and gorgeousness. Everyone say gorgeousness. I just made that up right then of our amazing God. And then of course the the fruit or the outcome or the effect of worship is literally wonder. Everybody say wonder. Okay, without doubt, it is again, like I just said, the outcome, the fruit, the effect, but somewhere in between, 
somewhere in between the worship and the wonder or the wonder and the worship, we have a very real enemy who is hell-bent on us not experiencing either. This enemy, this adversary, does not want us to experience what he once had and lost. And he certainly doesn't want us to live in the fullness and the beauty and the wonder of what Christ in us, hallelujah, can do. So I'm gonna attempt to give a small expression to that tonight. But before I do, allow me to read something of the Savior's heart to his church and to his vineyard, which would be you and I tonight. If you're watching online, that would be you, you're included in this. And so I'm gonna read from Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, which is said to be the greatest song of all, hallelujah. And I'm reading from the Passion Translation, which is beautiful. And as all of you hopefully would know and realize, this is a beautiful allegory. It is an allegory of the bridegroom king, who is Christ, hallelujah, and the Shulamite bride, which is the church, you and I. And you know, when you read Song of Solomon, when you read the song, it's like there's a number of allegory. You know, Jewish history would tell us that it is an allegory between um, God and the nation of Israel. You bring it into Christian context, that of Christ and His bride, like I just said. And then, because God is just lovely and He wants to help us, do you know what? We can draw wisdom and strength and parameter and insight into our very like natural marriages, okay? So I think personally, is very beautiful, and I think personally when I read it, I actually see this beautiful relationship that the Lord offers us. So it begins like this, I'm reading from chapter six, and it is the Shulamite bride, and she says, why? Why would you seek a mere Shulamite like me? Why would you want to see my dance of love? And the bridegroom king replies, and he says, because you dance so gracefully, as though you danced with angels, hallelujah. Chapter seven, he continues, he continues, everyone say he, our Saviour King to his church, the Bride of Christ, but to you and I, because we are that flesh and blood within that reality. He says, how beautiful on the mountains are the sandaled feet of this one, this one he is talking about, this one bringing such good news. You are truly royalty, the way you walk so gracefully in my ways displays such dignity. You are truly the poetry of God, his very handiwork. Last night, Robert was admonishing us a little bit, is that the correct word, about poets who write rubbish? And that doesn't make sense. But here, the Father heart of God is saying, ah, no, you are truly poetry, the poetry of God, his very handiwork. I just love that. I love you, Robert. I'm with you on that. Hallelujah. Verse two and three says, out of your, listen guys, out of your innermost being is flowing the fullness of my spirit, never failing to satisfy. Within your womb, there is a birthing of harvest wheat. They are the sons and daughters nurtured by the purity you impart. How gracious you have become, he says. Verse four, your life stands tall as a tower, like a shining light on a hill. Your revelation eyes, oh my gosh, your revelation eyes are pure, 
So this is our God speaking to us. Hello. Your revelation eyes are pure, like pools of refreshing, sparkling light for a multitude. Such discernment surrounds you, protecting you from the enemy's advance. Verse five, redeeming love crowns you as royalty. Your thoughts are full of life, wisdom, and virtue. Even a king is held captive by your beauty. Verse six, how delicious. Everyone say delicious. Delicious, hallelujah. Okay, I'm sure the Lord didn't quite say it like that. You're just delicious. Okay, but he says, verse six, you're delicious. <laughs> how delicious is your fair beauty. It cannot be described as I count the delights you bring to me. He says, love has become the greatest. You stand in victory above the rest, stately and secure, as you share with me your vineyard of love. Now I decree, says the Lord, I will ascend and arise. I will take hold of you with my power, possessing every part of my fruitful bride. Your love I will drink as wine and your words will be mine, says the Lord. For your kisses of love are exhilarating, more than any delight I've known before. Your kisses of love awaken even the lips of the sleeping ones. Our love affair with Christ, our love affair in total purity can awaken those who sleep. It can awaken this world. And then the Shulamite bride's response thereafter is equally stunning. She says of the Lord in verse 10, now I know that I am filled with my beloved and all his desire are fulfilled in me. Come away, my love, come with me. Okay, this is like, often we, we, we sense the wooing of our Saviour King, okay? It's a mystery, it is beautiful and it is pure. We sense Him wooing us. But here, this is her response. This is the response of the Bride of Christ. This is the response of the church, of the body of Christ in such a place of relationship, in such a place of partnership that she is almost wooing Him. She says, now I know that I am filled with my beloved and all his desires are filled in me. Come away with me like my love, she says to the Lord. Come with me to the faraway fields. We will run away together to the forgotten places and show them redeeming love. And I know you could read that in context of a marriage. That sounds pretty sexy, right? But I actually see mission here. I see the church speaking to her Saviour King and saying, come, come to these faraway fields. We will run away to these forgotten places and show them redeeming love. How beautiful is that? Verse 12, let us arise and run to the vineyards of your people, to the churches all over this world. Let us arise and run to the vineyards of your people and see if the budding vines of love are now in full bloom. We will discover if their passion is awakened, and there she declares, I will display my love for you. I love this, amen, I love it. If you haven't noticed, we have a beautiful vineyard here under ice, under the winter season, and this beautiful rose behind me. Okay, bear with me for a moment. On a creative note, people, I need to tell you something. I can't dance. Here I am speaking, great honour to speak at a worship and creative arts conference, but I just need to tell you something, I can't dance. I have two left feet, two bung knees, a bung hip, and about as much rhythmic coordination as a baby elephant. 
All right, does that make anyone feel better? And I just think it is hysterical when I read this Song of Solomon's that the Lord would say, because you dance so gracefully as though you dance with angels. And I think when I hobble around and I just do my unrhythmic little thing, um, the Lord looks down and goes, Bobby, it's as though you are dancing with angels. He just loves me. Okay, so I can't dance. I can't sing or play an instrument, I know. How is that possible? I'm from Hillsong Church. When you go overseas, people go, you're from Hillsong, do you sing? And I'm like, no, I don't. I don't sing. In fact, Darlene Check once said many years ago, she goes, Bobby, everybody can sing, you just need to listen. And I went, mm-hmm, no, have you, heard, have you heard me sing? No. And this will make some of you sad, when I was a little girl growing up, and I'm 60 years of age now, so that was a long time ago when dinosaurs roamed the earth. Anyway, when I was a little girl, about 10 years or 12 years of age, um, I asked my parents, could I learn the guitar? And this was their dear response. No, it's a phase, you'll grow out of it. <laughs> Hallelujah. Okay, so if anyone's sitting in here as a young person and you like are not appreciating your parents who have labored to give you opportunity, you should rethink that, hallelujah. So I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't sing or play an instrument, I can't sketch or paint or draw, hallelujah. If saving the world from imminent destruction rested on me entering my PIN number or my Apple iTunes number, we would be fried. And that's with my glasses on, okay? So it's like, sometimes I watch these James Bond movies and I'm like, they have to enter this code and I'm like, imagine if I had to do that. It would be like a catastrophe. Okay, so I can't do any of these things, but, everyone say but. But, I am a shepherd's soul. I am a shepherd's soul with a heart after God and a song in this heart. And I have eyes that I believe, if I can say this with humility of heart, I have eyes that I believe that are visionary. And I have been told that I have a way with words. And I see the Creator and His canvas in pretty much everything. And I don't know whether that's just because I'm getting older and a little bit senile and strange or not, but I feel like I see Him in everything. Everything is like he's there to be seen. I also believe that regardless of what you can or can't do, hallelujah, that the greatest invitation, the greatest invitation would be that you find yourself, that you and I find ourselves in the narrative that I just read. The greatest invitation is that you would find yourself in the narrative I just read of the bride the bridegroom king to you and then he to you. That would be the greatest invitation, correct? And I also believe that the greatest artistic commission entrusted to all of us is that we would literally build his church. That is the greatest artistic commission. And if you've been listening through the course of today and last night, you will begin to understand that that is deep at the heart of who we are. The greatest artistic commission that we could ever each be given is that we would build His church, that we would build His beautiful bride, that we would build His vineyard, that we would play a part in building this beautiful structure and this framework and this beautiful entity on the planet that is the church of Jesus Christ. And that we would have a part to play 
way in the bride of Christ becoming who God intended her to be and who died on a cross for, and that we would become the vineyard, that we would allow every season to actually produce in us what we need to. So I believe again, I repeat it for effect, hallelujah. (laughs) I believe that the greatest commission is that, to build His church and to make disciples of all men, hallelujah, and to feed His sheep, because that is the great commission of Matthew 28. And that is where John, in the Gospel of John, it talks about, you know, Jesus speaking to Peter and He said, mate, if you love me, He didn't actually say mate. He said, Peter, if you love me, if you love me, do you love me? And he asked the question three times, and three times the answer was, feed my sheep. Take care of what is closest to my heart, amen? So it's in this context tonight that I seek to speak to you. So again, I'm going like this. Two years ago, um, at a masterclass at Hillsong Conference, I presented some questions to leaders in context of the church and warfare. A few questions like, for example, how... How do you constantly push through the obstacles? How do you constantly? Okay, it's one thing for us to gather here, and I don't think we are, but you know, the tendency or the temptation could be to get all airy-fairy on this. But in all reality, when it comes to the church and warfare, how do we do things like that? How do we constantly push through the obstacles? Because again, we realize, don't we, that the road that leads home is fraught with obstacles, right? So we can get as creative and arty-farty as we wanna be, but at the end of the day, we are all on a pilgrimage. You saw that in our promotions. We're all on a pilgrimage, we're all on a journey, we're all on a road that ultimately leads home to heaven, and that road is not perfect. It has bends and curves, it has cliff faces, it at times has enemies and adversaries, and it has obstacles that we need to push through. I ask questions, for example, like how do you guard not only your own heart, but the hearts of the people if you're a leader? because we all know that the human heart is beautiful, but it also can be deceitfully evil and it can get us into a lot of trouble. And one of the testimonies of this house is that we have a senior pastor in my husband who is very pedantic about keeping the hearts of the people like guarded and correct in Jesus' name so that we can actually experience the perimeters the expansive world that he has actually promised us. I ask questions like, how do you deal with the spiritual principalities of this age in all truthfulness? Because again, when the attributes of heaven are released on the earth, when there is a release of grace and truth and wonder and freedom, then literally all hell becomes quite fierce in retaliation, correct? We often say, you know, like when the kingdom of God is advancing, then the enemy is actually losing territory. And so these are very, very real realities. And I don't want to give, you know, um, undue, unnecessary attention to the forces of darkness, but we have an enemy. And I just was meditating this this afternoon, and I thought, you know, we can, again, some, like, we pray. We did, you know, that midday moment, and what have we pray? Well, when we displace darkness, when, we, when light prevails, there is a displacement of, of darkness, right? When light displaces darkness, correct? So when we pray and take authority in the heavenlies, there is a displacement of darkness. Well, where do you think that darkness goes? It's not bound yet. We're not on the last pages of the Bible. We have authority and we 
are conquerors because we have authority in Christ and we take authority over the enemy and we know who we are in Christ and we say, not today, devil, not today. But when we displace darkness, so I have a pet theory, I could be completely wrong on this, but I have a pet theory that that murderous genocide spirit that roams this earth, you know what? It just moves from place to place. You think about the genocide in Rwanda, I'm diverting already and I promised the team I would not do this. You think about that genocide in Rwanda, yeah, it just moved to Uganda or rather Uganda, no, the genocide, that spirit moved from Uganda, I stand corrected, into Rwanda. And then it just moves into the Sudan. And then you see the darkness in the Middle East, and you think enough prayer will displace that stronghold, but where's it gonna go? So, so these are actually real questions, right? I ask questions on how do you raise layers and layers of generation inspired to be the church? People ask that of this house. How do you stay safe? How do you stay safe in a world like we live? How do, you, how do you steward the church so that all that has been entrusted to her allows not only for individual personal fulfillment, because that is important. You know, the gospel is personal. It is, it is important that you as an individual have a sense of fulfillment in what you do. But how do we navigate that and steward the church so we not only achieve that, but also emboldened conviction for all of us to stand strong and aligned in the pursuit of souls in these latter days. So if the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, if the outpouring of God's Spirit in that upper room long, long ago had purpose beyond lingering in His loveliness, right? Way more purpose than just a fluffy feeling, way more purpose than just us lingering there in his wonder, if the keys of the kingdom in Matthew 16 and the weapons of our warfare spoken of in Ephesians 6, if they have not grown old, and if the realities of this present age, which are basically that the battle between light and darkness, good and evil, a gospel of hope and an enemy, an adversary hell-bent on destroying that, if all these realities still remain, then actually, I ask this as a pastor to us tonight. What does, what does warfare in local church actually look like? What does spiritual warfare, the worship, the warfare, the wonder, what does spiritual warfare actually look like in local church? What does a prevailing spirit look like? When the enemy's intent is to wear us down, what instead wears him down? Okay, what prevailing attitudes and convictions and tenacity and non-negotiables wear him down at his game? All right, what frustrates the plans of the enemy against humanity? You know, sometimes the church can just get so, um, so mindful of just, you know, the plans of the enemy against us, but we need to correct that. We need to stand up strong and go, okay, how are we gonna frustrate his plans instead? What keeps, what keeps everyday folk, everyday folk, because we're just everyday folk, what keeps everyday folk <clears throat> on the page pushing through with immovable hearts? And I hope you hear my spirit in this. I think what qualifies me 
if I may say this, what qualifies me, and if Brian was here, what qualifies us to ask these questions is that we have been in ministry and we have been building his church for over 40 years. We have a 40 year history of church building. And you know what? We've had warfare across most of all of those decades. You know, we've had seasons, seasons of sustained but unsuccessful spiritual assault with the intent from the enemy to wear down what is precious and beautiful in this nation when it comes to the church and the church around the world. We have faced complexity of personalities, hallelujah, and disappointment on team. And that would shock some people looking at Hillsong because you think as a, you think Hillsong, you think, oh man, everything they touch just turns to gold. They just have perfect people in their congregation. They have no complexity of personality, (laughs) hallelujah. They have no disappointments or whatever. No, I just wanna say, we have had all of these things. And you know, I'm talking to a creative community and apparently you're the worst at having like (laughs) complexity of personality, hallelujah. So as my husband loves to say, the only person to get thrown out of heaven was a worship leader. (laughs) My husband loves to say that and he's probably gonna say it tomorrow night. Ooh, boo, hallelujah. (laughs) And if I can just say this, We've been defamed. We've been defamed as a couple, as a family, as a church on most media forums, not only in this nation, but around the world. And we've had challenges that are personal, challenges that are personal to our family and you'll probably never know about them because they're personal. So I say all of that to say that whilst the blessing and the wonder and the favor is very real, it hasn't always been without contention. And so what I'm gonna do, because you can't begin to address any and all of this, but what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna give you tonight three realities that have proven true and trustworthy and fruitful in our experience, okay, just three. And the way I teach and preach, point one is long, point two is shorter, and point three is usually a heading, okay? So don't get worried about that. All right, number one, if you're taking notes, mm, this is a really very, this is, you're gonna love this one. Yeah, continuing to turn up and stay at your post is thy kingdom come arsenal. It is thy kingdom come arsenal. And you know what, it may not sound sexy and it may not be the cherry on the cake kind of romantic that you might wanna hear, but allow me to say the magnificence of the church united in worship and warfare and wonder doesn't happen if you and I don't turn up. It just doesn't happen. It doesn't happen if we don't turn up and it doesn't happen if we don't stay at our post. We worship, we learn to war, we learn to exemplify His wonder when we are faithful to our planting. I'm on my pet subject here, is when we are faithful to our planting, to the planting of God in our life, to where He has planted us, and it is absolutely critical. Allow me to read to you Psalm 92. And can I just say the context of Psalm 92 is faithfulness, it is enemies, and it is the house of God. So it says in the Amplified, Psalm 92, verses 12 onwards, it says, the uncompromisingly, ha ha ha, let's just stop there. The uncompromisingly, what a powerful word. The uncompromisingly righteous shall flourish like the palm tree, be long-lived, stately, upright, useful, there's a thought, and fruitful. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon, majestic, stable, durable, incorruptible. Verse 13, Planted, everyone say planted. 
Planted in the house of the Lord, they shall flourish in the courts of our God. Verse 14, growing in grace. Growing in grace. Do you know, if you go out there, if you get displaced and go out there into the world, there's not a lot of grace out there. You don't do a lot of growing in grace. Not a lot of forgiveness, not a lot of generosity. It's in the house of God that you learn to grow in grace. So it says, growing in grace, they shall still bring forth fruit in old age, hallelujah. They shall be full of sap, of spiritual vitality, and be rich in the verdure, that's a beautiful word, it actually means the condition of freshness, of trust, love, and contentment. They are living memorials to show that the Lord is upright and faithful to His promises. He is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in Him. Do you know turning up is not only thy kingdom come arsenal, it is an ongoing spiritual military move. Because everything about the kingdom of God is fluid and moving and progressive. Second Timothy chapter two, the context is um, farmers, athletes and soldiers. That's the context. So literally farmers who don't turn up, what? Farmers who don't turn up, Miss the harvest. Okay, athletes who don't turn up, not only forfeit and don't win the race, but they don't win the reward. And soldiers who don't turn up, not only put themselves in, at risk, they put everyone else at risk as well, correct? And so I just wanna say in the words of Claire from my favorite Netflix series, hallelujah, on your feet, soldier. If you're gonna be enlisted into the army of God, if you're gonna be part of the kingdom of God in these coming days, on your feet. <clears throat> if you're sitting down, if you're wounded, if you're aching, if you're whatever the scenario might be, I wanna lovingly say, on your feet, soldier, because that's what soldiers do. I wanna say to you, um, back in the race, you first class athlete. One of the translations calls the athletes first class, and I love that because the kingdom of God, when it, it's not a race, it's not a competitive race. We're not competing against ourselves. We are running to win the prize of the high calling of Christ, hallelujah. And so that means that every single one of us can be a first class athlete. Even if you've got gummy knees and a gummy hip, you can be a first class athlete. And then I wanna say hand to the plow, you hardworking farmer. Do you know the enemy's strategy is always to isolate, to separate, and to scatter? So sweetheart, if there is anything within you, anything within you that is feeling the temptation to isolate, or to separate, or to scatter, I just wanna say to you, pay attention to what is going on in your heart. Pay attention, because the enemy's strategy is always to do that, to isolate you to mess with your thinking and feel like you don't belong or you're not worthy or whatever. And I know the Lord has already spoken to it on so many mediums already in our time together. Just pay attention to what is going on in and around you because this is real, this is not a game. This is not a game. Matthew 24, 12, again, the context is the last days. Listen to this, it's profound. There will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness last days, there will be such an increase of sin and lawlessness that those whose hearts once burned with passion of God and others will grow cold. Isn't that just the saddest reality? How is that possible, Father? 
that those whose hearts once burned with passion of God and others will grow cold. But keep your hope to the end and you will experience life and deliverance. Verse 14, yet through it all, this joyful assurance of the realm of heaven's kingdom will be proclaimed all over the world, providing every nation with a demonstration of the reality of God. And after this, the end of this age will arrive. You know, of late I have been saying, do you know what, world? Because the world's fabulous, but it's pretty screwed up, if I can say that. Did I just say that? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Okay. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, I've been saying, hey guys, doesn't matter which way the world goes, revival's still coming. Doesn't matter which way Australia falls, revival's still coming to Australia. It doesn't matter what happens in America. Everyone's so like weirded out by what's happening in America, politically wise, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm like, hey guys, just remember, revival's still coming. We need to remember that. And so I love those verses. So I wanna say as lovers and leaders of God, spiritual warfare involves cultivating a stoic spirit that regardless of the times, we are gonna keep turning up to be the church in the midst of the days. Everyone say the days. days. We're gonna turn up, we're gonna be the church in the midst of the days. We're gonna be the church in the midst of the days, right? Regardless, our hearts are not gonna go grow cold. We're not gonna abandon our convictions or our beliefs because it's too hard to make a stand. Right? Millennials? You are not gonna abandon your convictions that saved you because it's too hard to stand up and have some convictions. And you know what? The nature of Christ in us means that we will stand up with conviction but in an ocean of love in an ocean of embrace, in an ocean of understanding. We don't call anybody sinners. We're all sinners. But sin is what it is. And sin is what separates. And sin is what has messed up this world. So we're not gonna, we're gonna develop that beautiful stoic spirit. Spiritual warfare involves helping people to know their post. To know their post, which again is actually the art of local church of getting people <clears throat> involved and grounded and rooted. And it involves, I believe, artful vision casting. Okay, spiritual warfare involves artful vision casting. Not clever marketing, but artful vision casting. You know, the world says of my husband, it says of this church, but of my husband in particular, it says he's a master at marketing because they cannot understand what is happening here and around the world, they cannot get their heads around it. They have to dismiss it to other things. Oh, they're so clever at their branding and their recruiting, hallelujah. They're like marketing geniuses. Okay, no, it is not about that. Okay, my husband is not a master at marketing. He is a master at vision casting. He is a master at vision casting that has endured the years and vision casting, listen to me, that has reproduced others who can vision cast. This whole conference is testimony to that. Proverbs 29, 18 says, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint or dwell carelessly or become soft targets. 
So we have to cast vision all the time and we have to cast it in a million different ways and we need to write it and we need to sing it and we need to illustrate it and we need to weave it into the everyday lives of everyday people. Habakkuk 2.2 says, the Lord answered me and said, write the vision, make it plain on tablets so he may run who reads it. In the message, it reads like this. Write what you see. Write what you see. Write it out in big blog letters so that it can be read on the run. This vision message, listen, this is important. This vision message is a witness pointing to what is coming. We need to be pointing people by the grace of God, but the way we live, you know the whole drill, but we need to be pointing people to what is coming so they're not taken by surprise and shock and hallelujah. Praise God, it's all too much. And the Amplified, it says, engrave it so plainly, engrave it so plainly that everyone who passes may be able to read it easily and quickly as they hasten by. And I just wanna say really, our unbox today gave expression to this, but on that note, we need the Holy Spirit to keep revealing to us the unfolding revelation within the vision, right? The unfolding revelation within the vision because it's ever unfolding. Hillsong Church, if I can say, we have one vision and we all serve it. Everything we do serves that one vision, right? But it's, it's layers deep, it's beautiful. And you know what, these are days when, of course, as if anyone would want to, but we can't make this stuff up. We can't just make stuff up. We need to wait and listen and wait and listen and wait and listen. And you know what, can I say to you as a leader, you know, if you have no new direction and you, it's like you've hit a wall and you have no new direction, then don't panic, just go back to what you were last given to run with and check that you haven't exhausted all the territory that belongs to that because you know maybe the Lord doesn't wanna give us anything more until we have exhausted and been faithful with what He's already given us. And even if He never gives us another thing to do, are we content to just walk in obedience? So these are important realities when it comes to warfare. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. I've got five minutes, it's awesome, isn't it? I'm only up to point one. Basically, I wrote down here, the devil cannot mess successfully with the people who know who they are, where they're going, and what they're about. It is a military move. And every time you wake up, every morning when you wake up as an individual and you have a sense of who you are, where you're going, and what you're doing today, hallelujah, by the grace of God, in Jesus' name, it is a military strike blow against the enemy. So it's not some airy fairy, oh, we're gonna call in all the intercessors. See, I do sing. And you gotta call in all the intercessors and have this ooky spooky weird space. No, it's just getting up in our everyday lives, knowing who we are, what we're supposed to be doing, knowing our planning, getting on with it, loving people, living in the Word of God. Hallelujah, right? It's actually not hard, people. Okay, and the second thing I write down here is worship and create and allow the vine to produce and press what is within you and within the season. So much that could be said on that subject, but listen to me for one sec. Continue, obviously, to worship and stretch. Continue, obviously, to worship and grow. And then I wanna say, continue to worship and birth. Because when we continue to do these things, it drives darkness to distraction. Because the plan of the enemy is to destroy lineage that creates pathways home to heaven. 
His whole strategy is to destroy lineage, legacy and lineage, right? So lineage is all through the Bible. It is all through the Word of God and continually you find the enemy seeking to close the womb, literally. So let me remind you of the song that I, I read at the front end. Verse two of seven, it says, out of your innermost being is flowing the fullness of my spirit, never failing to satisfy. Listen, within your womb, there is a birthing of harvest wheat. They are the sons and daughters nurtured by the purity you impart. How gracious you have become. Barrenness is not the heart of God for any church or vineyard, nor is spiritual menopause. Oh, hashtag awkward, Bobby. <laughs> and you got a free snort. Shall I repeat myself? Barrenness is not the heart of God for any church or vineyard, nor spiritual menopause. You know what menopause isn't? Is, don't you? It's when a woman, <laughs> now we've gone to a biology lesson with two minutes to go. Is when a woman ceases to have her menstrual cycle and ceases to be able to have children and give birth. Well, okay, let's go to the analogy of the body of Christ. No, no. This church, this she, no. Barrenness, no, that is not the heart of God for her. That is not the heart of God for the vineyard, the church of the bride of Christ, nor is menopause. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Abraham and Sarah were promised carriers. They didn't allow barrenness, opposition, or old age. Obviously, she didn't have menopause because she was still fertile at 99. <laughs> they didn't allow any of that to contain the lineage they were called to contribute to. And I believe the spiritual womb of healthy churches is supposed to produce far, far into longevity. The household of God, the household of God, he calls us a household, is a baby machine. It is a vision, dream, harvest, fruit producing household. So lovers and leaders of God, I wanna say to you, consider the spiritual womb of your own spirit and your own church. And I just wanna say older leaders here, you know, you've gotta trust your kids, your spiritual kids, to have kids and get it right. You know, these platform, really, these platforms, it's testimony to that. Spiritual kids getting it right. You gotta trust them. And that may be a given and obvious here, but I guarantee there are people watching on and this is like revelation to you. Older pastors, older leaders, you gotta trust your kids, your spiritual sons and daughters, to have and to birth and to dream and to get it right. Acts 13, it says King David served his generation, right? And I believe that a generation is everyone serving, drawing, I often say this, a generation is everyone drawing breath at the same time. And so within that generation, there should be layers and layers and layers of age, contributing, serving, teaching, bringing counsel, adding to the, to the equation people in their 
80s and 70s and 60s and 50s and 40s and 30s and 20s and teen years and children even, because out of the mouth of babes, God speaks. And Acts 13, 36 says, for David, after he had served God's will and purpose and counsel in his own generation, he fell asleep. And I find that so beautiful because again, I love watching our children, our natural children, our spiritual children, bringing the counsel of God to the table. And we're gonna witness that even tonight as we stay for the midnight massive. So here you go, my husband would say this, spiritual warfare at its finest is when the generations get stronger and stronger and stronger, amen? So worship and create, worship and create, worship and create, worship. Every time we worship, we are creating pathways pathways in our mind and our spirit, pathways of prayer, pathways. We're just creating pathways. So worship and create in Jesus' name. And then the third one, I'm gonna get the team to come. Hallelujah, and join me. Reproduce after your kind, kind of what I've said already, and never stop sowing. Reproduce after your kind and never stop sowing. Do you know what? If you stop sowing, friend, if you stop sowing, you set in motion a drought that will somewhere in your future not only affect you, but others. It's just how it is. And the enemy loves drought. He loves drought in our human soul. He loves drought in our marriages, in our churches, in our ministries. Genesis 8 speaks of seed time and harvest whilst the earth remains. So whilst the earth remains, people, should he come next week on a beautiful white stallion? Or should he tarry, should the bridegroom tarry? Seed, time and harvest is in perpetual motion. And I just wanna say, if you're feeling a drought in your life, then you know what? The way to break a drought, the way to get back on the wagon is just start sowing again. Just find something to sow yourself into a project or a volunteer or something, just sow yourself back into the landscape. And I wanna so I just wanna say as, again, lovers and leaders, sow in the moment, okay? Learn to sow in the moment. The moment is so important. When the moment says, now, sow. Okay, because life is just full of these moments that pass and we just have these moments of connection with people or whatever. So if the moment says, now, Find the courage to respond and sow then and there. Whether it's a word of encouragement, whether it's a kindness, or whether it, listen to me, whether it's an opportunity that seems strange in the moment. Okay, an, an opportunity that seems strange in the moment because if I'm right, revivals of past, the revivals down through history's pages, revivals have broken open because people were obedient to something that compels them deeply, right? So allow me just to finish with a little story, if I may, and I hope I can give expression to it. Because, you know, I'm not like these guys who can just stand up and talk for 45 minutes without notes. I can barely remember my name. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But I just wanna tell you a little story. Okay, about 17 years ago in 2001, I wrote a book called Heaven Is In This House. And um, it was a great book and it's out of print now and really I need to revise it and it's probably the next project that I will do. And as I was writing it, I kind of had this daydream. I had this daydream as I was finishing and 
what have you, I had this daydream that it would not just be um, a literary work, not just words on paper, like written expression of what I love, that heaven could be in this house, that heaven could be on earth, that heaven was this irresistible reality in the world. I didn't just want it to be a literary thing. I wanted, I was kind of hopeful, this daydream, I was thinking, I would love it to be visual. I would love there to be pictures in it that gave expression to how beautiful the house of God is. And you have to remember 2001, we didn't have social media like we do today with a plethora of images. And it was like, you know, there was, there was such beauty and I just wanted, I, I hoped that it would be visual. And then I kind of had this dream and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be awesome if the sound, if there was the sound of the house was on it. So that it would be like um, the senses. So we would, you would read about the house of God and then you would see pictures of crazy young people doing crazy things because that isn't the perception that the world has of the church, right? They think it's just old and boring and horrible and that the sound of the house, because there is a sound to the house and that it would be upon this. And anyway, long story short, as I was bringing this book to conclusion, there was this woman in our church, this American woman, and she strangely had this, she just, Okay, I'm not doing this very well. She just felt that there was something in my heart that she wanted to support. She didn't know what was in my heart, but she just felt that there was something in Pastor Bobby's heart that she wanted to support. So she sent a monetary gift to the church to support what was in my heart. And so she sent a gift of $300,000 to the church. So you have to keep in mind, back in that day when we were writing, we didn't have publishers, we self-published. Brian and I carried the weight of it personally. We didn't have anyone pay. The church wasn't doing it. We were doing it. We were spending it. It was our labour of love and gift. And so, you know, there's a lot of money to publish a book, right? And so she sent this gift of $300,000. But because it didn't quite articulate what it was for or specify. It was just graciously received into the church. Of course it was. And we were at this time where we had all of these buildings in front of us. So it was a critical time in the history of our church. So it was rightly and correctly absorbed into the building, into, into the whatever. And so fast forward a week, we go to a kingdom people retreat on a Friday evening. And this woman comes up to me, okay? I didn't know what's going really. She just comes up to me and she kind of just taps me on my, my chest here with a really big smile on her face. And she says, I've got a feeling you didn't see that money. She says, don't worry about it. She says, I want you to write what is in your heart. There's something in your heart. I want you to write your A plan, your B plan, your Rolls Royce plan, budget it, and I'll consider financing it. And then she kind of just walked away. It was the strangest, strangest reality, right? We had a very brief conversation about the church in America and the need for revival amongst youth. And so that was it, she was gone. I barely knew what was in my heart. She's like, what, what is in your heart? So that night I went to sleep and I woke up on the Saturday morning having a vision. I had a vision of we the Australian church holding out in our hand a gift to the American church. So at the time, we had a relationship. Brian oversaw the denomination, the movement. We had a relationship in the United States in that movement of 12,000 churches and, and pastors. So I woke with this dream, this vision of us, the Australian church, extending on our hand a beautiful gift to the American church, a beautiful gift, no agenda, just a beautiful gift, giving expression 
to what God was doing in this vineyard here, this vineyard of Australia, this part of the world. A beautiful gift, beautifully boxed, wrapped, ribboned. No, again, no agenda, no, it's not a marketing plan, just a vision. Psalm 145, one generation tells your great works to another generation, in Jesus' Name. And within that gift was expression of all that we knew. There was my book giving expression to the house of God and the heart of God. There was Brian's book, For This Cause, because what a beautiful book that and truth that is in Revelation. Darlene Check had just written Extravagant Worship, so the heart of worship was in the gift. There was, at the time, our latest offering of worship was You Are My World, so there was CD and video so people could hear it and see it. And there was something specific to youth, to youth pastors, because you cannot mm, give such a gift to, say, a senior ministry and expect revival to happen. It's like, it's like if you're gonna mobilize a youth revival, you need to mobilize senior ministry because if they don't get it, it's never gonna happen in youth. So all of these things were swirling and there was this gift given and it, it was amazing. And it was, in this vision, it was like it was going out and it was landing on the desks of senior pastors all over America, just landing on their desk. And so it was uncanny and it was vivid. So this woman has said to me, write what is in your heart, okay? So that weekend, the first Saturday, I sat for nine hours in my pajamas in my bedroom and I tried to write and articulate what I had seen, what it would mean, what it would do, what it would represent. I wrote down all the complexities and all the reasons why it wouldn't work and why it couldn't be done because it was complex. You just can't do that, actually. So I wrote all of these things, I presented it beautifully. I actually found it only recently. I presented it beautifully, the plan for this lady. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I found that. And I sent it off. And then I went to Hawaii to preach at a women's conference. Sorry, I'm 10 minutes over, I'm nearly done. I went to Hawaii to, to minister. And I'm in my hotel room and I get a phone call from my PA, my secretary, and she says, you're not gonna believe this, she's read it. And she said, yes, it's right, it's perfect, it's God. I'm going to wire you $1 million for this thing that is in your heart, $1 million. She said, I'm wiring it this week. I'm like, what the heck, people, <laughs> right? $1 million is a lot of money today. $1 million was like crazy back then, absolutely crazy. And you've got to keep in mind as a church, right? Keep in mind as a church, we were, had all of this building in front of us. We had all of this vision that had needed to be resourced. This was a lot of money coming our way. And it was crazy because actually it was like, whatever. Anyway, so I take this phone call and I'm like, <laughs> I get back on the phone, I put the phone down, I pick up the phone, I ring Brian, who was also ministering in America. And I'm like, sweetheart, you're not gonna believe what's going on. <laughs> ah! I was a little bit elated, but I'm like, because oh, he knew about this thing, but he was like, well, it was kind of a bit crazy. But anyway, it's like, I said, you're not gonna believe it. She, a million dollars. And I love my husband. He was just quiet. And then his, in his deep, beautiful voice, he just said, that's a lot of money. <laughs> no, hang on. That's a lot of money. <laughs> we, need, we need to think about this. To which I said, of course, of course. And I hung down and I literally dissolved into tears. I went from absolute elation to weeping 
Not because my husband had said that, of course not. But because I sensed that God was trying to do something and I needed to steward it and I didn't know exactly what it was and it was like Father in heaven and you tried and, and now this was coming and it was like crazy. And so I pulled myself together and I told one person, my friend Helen Burns, and I said, um, I told her and she just said, Bobby, words of wisdom from friends, hey? She said, hey, you know what, just let it settle. Just let it sit with them, don't say anything, just let it sit with them. Not them, but the men, you know? She's like, they need to know that things like this can happen through us women folk, hallelujah, praise the Lord. <laughs> and I actually live in a house that is pretty amazing here, but you know, she said, just let it sit. They need to think about this, and rightly so. So I came home, the money wired across into our accounts here. I went home and I didn't touch her for three weeks. I didn't mention, I didn't talk about, did nothing. And then one day, George Agajanian, who's our, our executive business manager in this church and a legendary man, he rang me. He said, hey, Bobby, do what is in your heart. We've talked. Obviously, they talked to the board and everything. They said, do what's in your heart, Bobby. Just do what's in your heart. And so what transpired out of that was this gift of 12,000 beautiful gifts giving expression to the good thing. And again, can I just say, remind, say one more time that we're in a season of incredible building and incredible need. And here I am receiving our first ever million dollar gift and I'm wanting to give it away. I'm wanting to sow it back into the earth. And they said, just do what is in your heart. So we went to work and we sent all of these boxes out with no agenda, with all these beautiful things in it. And they began to land on desks all around America. What I didn't tell you was that when that money wired across it, it wired across on the exact same day that 9-11 happened. So what was happening was God was giving a gift from one vineyard, His church, to another vineyard of encouragement and beauty. And so all of these boxes, just like this, literally, all of these boxes, just landed on desks all over the United States, hilarious. And I'm told, because we've got oceans and oceans and oceans of emails and letters, that as pastors sat at their desk and opened this box and read this card that had no marketing, no branding, no tracks to come to our conferences, wasn't like a product thing. As they opened the box, they literally said that they felt the fragrance of God lift. It was beautiful. And you know what, all I wanna say tonight, and forgive me if I've gone over time, I'm so sorry guys. All I wanna say is like, if there's something in your hand and the Lord says, sow it, sow it, sow it. Because all I had in my hand was a love affair. Here it is, tucked in here, a love affair with the house of God. And you know what, God took this and He made it seed that went not only out all across America, but because we're diligent with our finances, it went to all the other continents of the earth and it became seed about His great love affair, which is the church of Jesus Christ and you and I. And you go, I don't know where the seed landed. I don't know if it landed on good soil, shallow soil, whether the enemy stole it. It doesn't matter because our responsibility is just to sow. And the thing that is beautiful about this story, if I've given it due diligence, is that this seed, this gift, was actually a collaboration of many gifts. 
It was a collaboration of so much gift and measure and passion and devotion within this house. This gift, it contained everything. Every medium that we're learning about today was in this gift and God chose to sow it all those years ago. And it's bearing fruit. I don't know what's in your hand. Seems to be the theme of the conference, right? I don't know what's in your hand. But you know, whatever it is, it's beautiful. And the breath of God on it can take it beyond your wildest imagination in Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? It's what I wanted to bring to you. Forgive me for going a little over time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. We're not going anywhere, are we? Amen. Cass, why don't you come and Ruben, maybe we just, I don't know. You know what? Sorry, hashtag awkward. Tonight, if you're gonna linger and remain, why don't you really make an offering? A number of us have spoken about the gift in your hand and what it is, but why don't you make an offering of it tonight before the night is out, tonight before midnight? Who knows what the Spirit of God will do with that? And who knows when you linger? See, I know what happens when you linger. God births things in you. It was in worship that God birthed a love affair with the house of God in that book within me. It was in worship. So who knows what He's gonna do in Jesus' name, amen? I love your church, you're the best. Thank you so much for tuning into this podcast. I hope you have found it encouraging and uplifting and helpful. Don't forget, you can subscribe on iTunes to make sure you get all of the latest episodes as soon as they're released. And if you have time, I'd love to hear from you. Write to me in the review or comments section. I look forward to being with you again next time.